So I've always been a big believer that you can learn from many, many different places. You can almost learn from anybody. And the best lessons oftentimes come in surprising places. Hey, everybody, Todd Conkud, Pre-Accident Investigation. It's the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, downloading or whatever. What do you, yeah, download, I kind of. I don't know, podcasts magically appear, at least on my phone, um, which is great. I'm not complaining. Sometimes I do have to load them. It'll ask me to download an episode. But anyway, thanks for what you did. It is great to spend time with you, and I have so much to tell you today. Oh my goodness, it's been a crazy couple days. So I uh, got to hang out with a bunch of people this week, which was really fun. And I did something amazing. I ate at the In-N-Out Burger semi-truck. Have you done this? Just just asking. If you don't know what that is, it's a, it's a traditional hamburger place in California. It's grown, actually. It's, it's diffusing. It's moving east in uh, the United States, but it's really famous, and they're famous for a bunch of reasons. One is they're super famous for their secret menu. Like you can order a Flying Dutchman, and a Flying Dutchman is two patties and cheese in the middle, nothing else. No buns, no lettuce, nothing. Just two patties, cheese. It's like a meat hors d'oeuvre. It's like a meat egg roll. A meat, I don't know what it's like. It's a... It's like a meat treat. Let's go with that. And they have tons more, animal style, and uh, you can just go cray. Six by six. I don't know how you'd eat a six by six, but you could have 12 by 12. You could order anything you want. And I spoke at a big meeting for SoCal Gas, and it was really fun, and we had a great time, and there was lots going on, Um, highly technical, lots of fancy people pushing buttons and poking microphones in place, you know, all that kind of stuff. But out front, they had this cupcake truck, which if you know me, and by now you do, I'm not going to miss a cup. I mean, it's a cupcake truck. I'm I'm not going to miss it. I mean, that's a must do. If there were five minutes left on earth, I would go to a cupcake truck. That's how dedicated I am to the art of going to cupcake trucks. But walking out towards the cup, and nobody told me. I mean, I'm just discovering all this stuff. Walking out to the cupcake truck, I see an In-N-Out Burger semi-truck. And so I stop, because why wouldn't you? I want to be able to say that I ate at an In-N-Out Burger semi-truck. And I went up and and I ordered from the very um, friendly In-N-Out Burger-tition. And at In-N-Out, if you've not been there, they have this very... um, identifiable uniform black safety shoes shiny as can be white pants white shirt red apron with a giant safety pin in the back and then one of those in and out burger hats but not like a cap like one of those hats those folding paper hats that like from my past the butcher in the grocery store i used to work in my favorite job um he would wear one of those folding paper hats and I said, hey, can I get a burger? And they're like, yes, sir, absolutely. What would you like? And so I ordered a double-double 
which just in case you're wondering, is something you want to order. It's a double cheeseburger. And then I said, how often do you get to work on this truck? And he said, this is our store. We work on it every day. And I said, wow, really? You must go to super interesting places and do super interesting things. And he goes, oh, it's crazy. We go to parties. We go to events. We go to fairs. We go everywhere. And this is what we do. Every day we're in a different place. And he was, he was excited by it. It, 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 was, it was really fun to watch because he still had all the energy that you'd need to have to set up an entire restaurant in a parking lot every day. You know, like little awning tents and folding tables and trash cans. And I mean, it's, it's clearly, it's a lot of work to set up the restaurant. And then they cook everything in this truck. And it is, it is absolutely identical in almost every way to the actual restaurant. The only difference in the semi-burger truck, burger semi-truck, is because they're full burgers. So burger semi-truck is they don't have french fries. And, you know, the French fries are a really important part of the In-N-Out Burger experience. Now, I'm just going to say this. This is not going to make me popular. But people who love In-N-Out Burger love their French fries. People who did not grow up with In-N-Out Burger, their French fries are, it's a big ask. Uh, because they use nothing frozen, and they, they have this cutter-upper thing. They stick a potato on one end and pull this handle, and french fries shoot out the bottom. And then they fry them immediately right there. And so nothing's frozen. Everything's fresh, which is pretty nice. But their french fries, I don't know. They, uh, they're not the same as the french fries we grew up with. Unless you grew up with In-N-Out Burger, and then they're totally the same french fry that you grew up with. But either way... They didn't have the French fries. My, I didn't ask the guy. I should have, too, because I was curious. My guess is that carrying a giant fryer in a truck is probably not the easiest thing to do. My guess is that's a hard thing to do. And so that's kind of a part of what's going on there. They just sort of changed up the, the path to uh, surf chips to, or crisps, if you will, to be more international. That's what they were doing, and that and that's how they kind of made it go. It was really fun. It was a great meeting too. I had a, an excellent time. I had the most fun of all, and that sort of leads us to the pod for today because the pod for today is uh, is interesting. So let's let's roll into that pod because I think it'll make kind of a big difference when we talk about it. So I fly into Los Angeles because that's where I had to go. That's where the burger truck is the giant burger truck and uh and i'm getting a ride from the airport to the venue to do a sound check and stuff and so this person picks me up his name is bill let's call him bill however his name is also bill so it's really convenient to call him bill and you know we're just chatting because it's always fun to chat to the people who pick you up and we start talking and he he's super interested in traffic because traffic in los angeles is a big deal and we're getting out of the los angeles international airport which you know karmically of course i would have to fly there because it is an airport i make fun of a lot because it's kind of a mess it's 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 a traffic nightmare because it's a big horseshoe and so everybody's kind of got to go to the same place and it's pretty it's congested to say the least it's congested and we're driving out of it and he he starts to comment on how 
he's asked other drivers to, in fact, observe customer service in places. And it's pre- it's a pretty interesting story. I mean, because he's really looking for what makes customer service the most effective tool it can be. And, and it becomes really clear at some point during this conversation that he's not just a driver guy, that he clearly owns the company. And, and so, and I asked him and he said, yeah, he actually said it's family owned, but I'm the dad. And he has six kids and they're super impressive. Um, one's in the Berkeley School of Music. He's, he's you know, because we got a lot of time because I landed LAX at four o'clock, which means I get picked up maybe 4.30. And that's probably the worst possible time for traffic so we we're going 17 miles i think he told me and it took us a little longer than an hour but which so we have lots of time to talk and in the midst of this conversation he's he's talking about how he really looks at organizations that move smoothly and how how appealing it is to him to see an organization that's kind of got it together and so I'm talking to him. It's, you know, it's just interesting. It's fine. It's a great conversation. And then just out of the blue, he says, it's really important to understand you don't fix people, you fix processes. Now, I immediately knew where that came from, but I kind of waited to see what he'd say. I said, that, yeah, okay, I'm listening. And he said, that's W. Edwards Deming. Deming. I can't even say his name. Now, W. Edwards Deming, if you don't know who that is, that's somebody you should look up. But the last book that uh, young Professor Decker and I put together, I actually did an entire chapter chapter on the 14 points. And the reason I did a chapter on Deming's 14 points is Deming is a, was a, a very important quality guru. And Deming had some long reach with his impact and made a huge difference really – in quality, but specifically in quality around manufacturing throughout the globe. He's powerful. If you don't know him, I'm surprised. Most of you are going to know him. And one of the reasons I got fixated on Deming, especially for the book, was because Deming's 14 points changed as he grew older and understood work better, which, if you know Deming, is absolutely normal because Deming coined the phrase, the phrase continuous improvement. And so he and his 14 points were continuously improving. But one of those points is the fact that you don't fix people, you fix processes. You, you know, when, when we talk about it, I often say, don't ask who failed, ask what failed, which is exactly the same idea that you're not fixing the people because you can't really fix the people because we're not in charge of behavior. I mean, as much as we want to be, we're not in charge of behavior. And so if we can't fix the people, then we have to fix the context in which the people function, right? So we fix the process around them. And it became the most interesting conversation as we progressed those 17 miles, talking about the impact that that's had on, for instance, his work, the work he does and the work other organizations do. And it really kind of gave me a moment to make me think. So two things. One is I really needed that conversation, and I needed it to come from Bill. Um, It was was completely like a shot in the arm for me. It, it, It made me remember a lot of really important things 
that I think I hadn't forgotten, but we get so wrapped up in doing the work we do that I think sometimes we get a little bit tunnel-focused about the origins of where much of this came from. These ideas sort of blossomed and grew. And secondly, and I think even more importantly, it's such an important reminder, and I don't think we say this enough, that we really don't fix people. As much as we want to fix people, we don't fix people. What we fix are processes. So if you're running a prison and you have an escapee, that one's kind of on my mind, right? And you fire the tower guard because the tower guard wasn't attentive and a prisoner escaped, you're not fixing the prison. You're trying to fix the person. And in your zeal to fire the person, you've left the flawed process in place and another escape can certainly happen. In fact, probably will happen because the one surefire way to get out of the prison and the escaped convict showed it is still there. It didn't go away at all. And this idea that somehow everything we do is wrapped up in making workers better is is just it's 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 a thread that runs through work and has run through work since before W. Edwards Deming. In fact, the reason Deming talks about it is to help change the paradigm. The reason it's part of the 14 points is because, in fact, even before he wrote the 14 points, the need to see the worker as the problem and the need to fix the worker, fix the people, was so strong, he felt like one of his 14 had to focus specifically on that area. Now, is that good news or bad news? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, I don't know. It depends if you see the glass half empty or half full, I guess. But I, in my mind, I, I don't think that's necessarily bad news that historically people have had this belief system. I, I mean, I just think that's a fact. That's just a part of the bounding conditions in which we work. I think the good news here is that if we continue to stay the course and find other ways to talk about this, people like Bill will bring it up in a car sitting in traffic at 5 o'clock in the afternoon heading to some auditorium to check and see if a computer works. And I actually think that's encouraging at almost every single level. Because one of the things we can do, and we do it all the time, I mean, I was thinking about this a lot. It's hard to imagine how many people didn't have a life-altering event because of the work you do. I mean, we'll never know that answer because it's hard to measure something that didn't happen. But I never want you to lose track of the fact that the things that didn't happen, to a great extent, didn't happen because you work day in and day out with your organization to ensure they understand things like adaptability and variation and the fact that the world is uncertain and that controls matter and that you don't fix people, you fix processes. And I actually think that's a really important piece of data for us. It's, a, it's an important piece of I'm a social scientist, so I use the word data like it's numbers, even though that drives every engineer that listens to the podcast completely crazy. But I think that's a really important 
vital way for us to understand this. And it's right there in front of us. Deming said it years and years and years ago. And when I say years and years, I'm talking like, you know, almost 70 years ago, he talked about these things. And that's a pretty important piece of information for us. Because these ideas that seem so foreign and novel to the bosses in our organization, they're kind of scary because they're threatening. Oh, no, you can't say that. These ideas have been around a while, and there's tons and tons of research and experience and stories to tell to defend these ideas. And I say that because a big part of our discussion is, is that when something happens, the tendency to push back and go to the old way, that's very attractive. Let's just bring punishment back. Let's actually hold these people accountable. Let's show them a picture of a guy with an arm cut off so they never cut their arm off. And that need to push backwards, I mean, that's there. It's always there. But when something happens, it feels like maybe that we should have never left the old ways. And yet I would ask you straight to your face, how happy were you with the old way of managing safety? How happy were you with the old way of managing resilience and reliability? Because there's kind of no going back. I mean, that's the thing about continuous improvement is that you're continually improving. And that means that once a new idea becomes a part of your paradigm, the way you think, an old idea has to go away. It's like peas on a pencil, if you can stay with me during this uh, sort of imaginative metaphor. Once a new pea goes on one end, an old pea has to fall off the back end. And we're constantly replacing old knowledge with new knowledge. But we do it by building a bridge. We do it by bolstering the ideas. We do it by understanding that these discussions we have have been around a while. And Deming said it beautifully. You don't fix people. You fix processes. That's pretty important. And I actually think it's kind of vital to what we understand and what we do. And it's helpful, at least to me. I hope it is to you, too. I mean, we're just, you and I are having a conversation, so I'm not sure anything's going to be earth-shattering out of today. But I do think one thing that comes out of this is the fact that we're not alone in this and that other parts of people who think about how work should be done, other parts of people who think, what does a smooth organization look like and how can I learn from that smooth organization? Those people are doing exactly what we're doing. They're out there trying to continuously get better, to default towards improvement, to assure that when questioned about what to do, should I blame or should I punish, they're going to move away from blame and punish and move towards improvement. Because remember, you can either learn and improve Or you can blame and punish. You can either get even or get better. And one of the vital parts of getting better is understanding that you don't fix the people. You fix the process. 
And that, I think, was worth a trip for an hour and 15 minutes through the mean streets of Los Angeles, California to get to a rehearsal space to plug in my computer. So that's the pod discussion. What do you think? I mean, it's just an interesting little discussion about, I don't know, our forefathers and mothers and what we share with these people on this journey and how we're not alone. You're never alone. It may feel like you're alone, but you're not alone. And that when the organization wants to sort of fall back to the old ways, one of the ways we can help them understand that is by maybe whipping out Deming's 14 points or talking about the notion of continuous improvement or operational excellence, right? All those ideas are really valuable because they're all built around the same premise. And that is in order for us to get better, we have to constantly be learning. We have to constantly learn what it is that makes us better. How can we smooth our operations out How can we build systems that are resilient and ready? How can we build in recoverability? How can we make the world a better place? And I actually think that's a worthwhile goal. So what do you think? That's that's the pod for today. Pretty good, huh? I mean, the exciting part is I ate at the uh, In-N-Out Burger semi-truck. I'm not lording that over you. I mean, I'm not trying to make you jealous. I'm pretty sure anyone could eat there if you can find it. I just accidentally found it, and I found it on a quest for the cupcake truck. Now, rest assured, I also found the cupcake truck. So there was no mystery there. I mean, I got to completely imbibe in a cupcake. And I cho- there were like nine to choose from. I went with red velvet. It seemed like the right thing to do post-hamburger. And it probably was a pretty good choice. I mean, I felt good about it. It worked out well. And then I started the giant and exciting and incredibly unsuccessful journey home, which every week, the giant and exciting and incredibly unsuccessful journey home is driving me bananas. I mean, I can't even believe all this stuff that's happened, but I'm trying not to talk about it because I think it's kind of boring, but it's a crazy world in which we live. I'll talk to you next week, though, for sure. And I'm sure we'll get to visit each other somewhere in the meantime. But until then, learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. Check in on one another. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. A double-double animal style. That's what you should ask for. That's, that's, that you should just ask for that. If you want to know what it is, look it up. But if you're ever near one of those places, a double-double animal style.